which means I think having pressed that, we are um, already live. Oh, that's exciting. Um, so, uh, right, good. Uh, can, can you hear? Can you hear us? Well, can you hear me, everyone? Uh, John is here. I'm here. John is here. Hi, John. Hello. Good. How's the audio balance, everyone? This is the bit that is irritating for everyone in audio-only mode, where it's like, I, I, they're, they're all like, why are you saying hello repeatedly? Just start the bloody podcast. Um, <laughs> but everyone listening in audio-only mode, it's because I record it live. They wouldn't happen if I didn't do them live. Uh, so they have some element of irritation, uh, irritating repetitiveness and bad non-existent editing. Uh, it comes with the territory. John, you're a regular listener. How much does it irritate you? Moderately. You're allowed to say a lot. That's that's fine. No, no, it doesn't. I, I think of it as like on, on many podcasts, you get adverts at the beginning, and I tend to hit the forward 30-second button, and then I get to the get to the, uh, that's, the 225. That's a very good – yeah, I was going to say that's a good a good bit of advice. Although, actually, increasingly, a lot of the content seems to be happening before the Intercity 225. But anyway, right. So <laughs> um, let's just get on with it. Uh so, firstly, I, I may. Oh, I'm just going to make sure I'm on the right screen. Good, the right screen is here. Um, John is going to sit in the background and comment on some of the, the news before we kick off. But first, uh, I, I've been dithering. Today I was in Milton Keynes and back. Crikey, I've covered. I, I need to work out how many railway miles I've covered today. But I did manage to make. So that's why we're an hour late. Sorry, everyone, for being an hour late. But uh, it's because I, I didn't. I possibly could have done it, but I, I don't know. It would have been a push. But anyway, this way I'm here on time, uh, and, and also John and I had a chance to actually get the slides in order. So, um, but if you want to find out what the hell I was doing, then you can go on Twitter and go to Pointless Perambulations, and you'll you'll find it. It's on my Twitter feed. Anyway, I need to work out how many. Uh, oh, that was that was me. It's me. Oh, have you got? The, have you just put the feed up or something? I have. I'm yeah, just, yeah, yeah. It's me. Sorry. I was like, oh my god, what, 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 what have I broken? <laughs> um, <laughs> That's right. Uh, it's better that you better you checking that than me actually breaking it. Um, hello to everyone in the chat, by the way. Um, so, oh, the COVID stats. Um, interesting, actually. Obviously, we've got we've got this continued rise, but it seems to have steadied um, in in kind of in the last week. But the, the, the stats are always a bit funny um, <clears throat> because they're always about five percent behind, um, as in they're always underestimate. But these kind of dotted bits, you can see they always generally underestimate. Um, but you can see everything sp- uh, spiking. Uh, cycling's given a nice spike again, which is good. Uh, road tr- road travel is definitely there's a general trend you can see uh, there. You can sort of see that general trend. Buses likewise seem to be a general trend quite steeply upwards. Actually, uh, correct my if Deirdre's watching. I'm, I'm sorry if you don't agree with my trend trend lines, but I think that's broadly what's going on. Rail as ever, there's absolutely no trend whatsoever. But you can see generally things are improving. If we zoom in a bit. Um, you can see we're kind of bouncing along according to the data, and we're bouncing along at between seventy and seventy-three percent. Um, yeah, I, I mean trains are full, and what's interesting, and I'm going to try and get hold of this data directly from from GBRTT from the transition team at GBR because they've started publishing it, and I think it should. If it isn't, then it should be public domain anyway, which is um, this data. So it's on to the news. Uh, any any thoughts on the the COVID stuff? I don't know. There's there's not really much to say, is there? We kind of generally trains are getting pretty full now. Yeah, I I tend to ignore the um the cycling ones on there because it's so all over the. They tend to be so all over the place that I don't know whether it's because they're national or determined by the weather or something like that. But I feel like there's a lot more um 
sort of uh, different pictures going on in different cities, yeah. like urban areas and boroughs even that have invested more and invested less. That it's quite, I'm not sure how useful an aggregate is. The, the rail one's interesting, the, the national rail stats, because they tend to revise them after a week, don't they? And they yeah, tend to yeah. always revise them up. So whenever I tweet them out, I always just ignore the latest rail stats. But then by the time you do, by the time <laughs> yeah, yeah. They're, they're late, basically. Um, yeah, the underground um, ones don't seem to be recovering too much either, actually, uh, as much as National Rail, which is they're, they're sort of stuck mid sixties, aren't they? Yeah, and actually, yeah, we'll we'll talk about that in the next slide, actually, because because um, well, firstly, yeah, the cycling is a mess. I do a rolling. Uh, all the others are instantaneous, but the cycling one because it's so all over the place. I do a rolling seven day average to just sort of smooth it out a bit. Yeah, um, and uh, yeah, you're right. It's a bit fairly yeah. useless kind of national trend, but it's it's kind of interesting. But yeah, the um the the rail one is 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 a reasonable guide. And actually, so the the GBRTT data I've just been referring to. Hello to the transition team. Hello everyone. If if you if you didn't want this to be published, sorry. Uh, I I found my I found my way to it through a series of uh, people sending me this. To, several people sent me this data independently. So I was like, ah, stuff it. I'm putting it up. People need to see it. So I, I I only tweeted this screenshot of a larger data set because I think it, it's kind of probably the most interesting one. This is, bear in mind, this is from a month ago. So things have got quite a lot better since then. And this is really interesting because it breaks down between... So the colors here are um, different uh, market segments. And then there's a bit of a sort of sub-breakdown. So so the red here is commuting. So this this sort of section here is, is commuting. Um, and you can see that even a month ago, long commuting was at 68%. Uh, Non-London commuting was at, at, at on its way to 60%. And, and to and from London was at 50%. So everything's sort of at or above 50%, um, which is interesting. Um, the, the green here is leisure. Now, bear in mind, these are pretty, these are, uh, are automated and pretty, uh, I, I'd argue, potentially reaching the point of obsolescence, the, these segments. But, but anyway, they are the current measure. Um, and even a month ago, short leisure travel was at 110%. And it's still climbing. Uh, at this point, it was still climbing. It's obvious it'll be even higher than that now. So that's climbed rapidly. Mid uh, and long distance um, commuting were at 90 and 80%-ish, respectively. So the one that's... Uh, oh, there's, there's the within London travel, which is its kind of own thing here, which is at 75% a month ago. The two interesting ones... And this is why there's a massive shortfall. This is why the what's called the yield, so the relationship between ridership and revenue, is um, is one that's interesting. And because the whole rail, the whole business model for the railway is broken because it relies pretty heavily on um, uh, on like uh, season ticket holders and first class travellers. And I think that's this category here, which is the inverted commas business. I'm doing rabbit ears, but I don't have my face up. Business uh, travel. Uh, and both of these are 20, these are both less than 30%. So they're kind of, they are climbing, but much more steadily than the other sectors. Um, and that is accounting for quite a major shortfall in revenue. Um, so that's kind of interesting. Uh, and it helps, uh, it helps give a feel for what that generic aggregate number in the previous slide is uh, in terms of the different ridership. Because all the, all of the long distance operators that I have people within are saying that they are well above pre-COVID levels now, even though some of them are running a, a, a much reduced timetable. You know, TransPennine are running 60% of the timetable. Uh, Cross-country are running potentially even less than that. I think it was 50% at the worst point. So there are lots of operators that they are slowly ramping up. L&E are running a full timetable. Uh, Avanti, I don't know. Uh, I've not actually heard anything about Avanti loadings, but when I was on the train this morning uh, and this afternoon, it was absolutely heaving. So 
yeah, and anyway, there, there there are some data in relation to to to, to COVID. Any yeah, does this match up with what you've been spotting and hearing, John? Yeah, I think um, uh, I think it's interesting to see which operators are running full timetables and which ones aren't. Like any LMER, that sort of longer distance business travel, but also leisure travel. Whereas I think things like Southwest Train, uh, sorry, Southwestern Railway, and even Southeastern, even going into London, a lot of those are still running very. Um, much sparser timetables like the line that I'm on um, goes from uh, coming in from like Bromley South into Victoria by Brixton I think they used to run like four to six trains an hour um, before the pandemic and it's still at two which is good grief yeah yeah, yeah. it's a real cut that is Um, and apparently Southwest trains empty a lot I I think um, in the chat Uncritical Simon makes an interesting point about whether fuel fuel prices um, will affect the will affect things or drive modal shift or reduce uh reduced road coming up. I don't know whether there's, I suspect there probably won't be any modal shift here because of it, but I don't know if you saw the news in New Zealand the other day about New Zealand cutting um, public transport fares in half um, to encourage people to shift over. It's it's a very obvious, it's an obvious solution and it's one that will absolutely definitely not get grasped by Treasury. (laughs) To just know that it's... Not it's gonna not, happen, but yeah, it's. We'll, it, we'll uh, probably get a fuel. We'll probably get a fuel duty cut, which they did in New Zealand too. But we won't get the uh, the sustainable bit of it. Yeah, exactly. They'll do the bad thing. They won't do the concurrent good thing. Um, yeah. other co- uh, COVID data. I'm hoping to get. So this is a paper that's been authored. Uh, it's come from uh, Creds, um, which is uh, oh, what is the, I can't remember the, the acronym for the institution. Anyway, authored by um, among others. Uh, so so authored by Gillian Annabel, uh, Linos uh, uh, Brown, uh, Ian Doherty of Transport Select Committee with me uh, last week, fame, and Greg Marsden. So a really good group of people looking at transport data, really looking in detail at the data, at the travel trends um, uh, as a result of the kind of pandemic. Uh, and it's, it's very interesting. And I'd quite like to get Gillian on, actually, to talk about this paper because there's a lot. So that's a future one. But kind of key themes, I'm not going to dwell on them, but key themes um, is that car traffic is not actually quite back to pre-pandemic levels. Um, weekday car traffic has stabilised around 10% below pre-pandemic levels. So that's car traffic. So that's not so HGV traffic is is making up that shortfall. So clearly HGV traffic is above those levels because at the moment the numbers are around about 10, uh, around about 90 to 100%. Um, the next one is about working from home. Um, it has played a critical part in reducing traffic levels. Um, even if people who have worked from home go back to travelling for half their working week, there'll still be a reduction of 16% uh, in car commute miles. So in a way, that's a good thing. It's good to see that, that working from home has actually reduced car commuting. That That is a good thing. That's only a good thing. Another good thing is that car ownership has fallen, um, which is really interesting. The sale of used and in particular new cars has fallen below pre-pandemic levels. That's, that's actually, again, very good news. Um, there's a significant increase in the number of households reducing from two to one cars. Um, the pandemic did not lead to a dash to the car. So that, again, is, is good news. We can be reassured by that. Um, it's interesting because there was there was a lot of anecdotal evidence that I saw that was the opposite. So it's interesting to see that. I wonder if um, that's maybe to do with more increased homeworking, maybe if, maybe if people who were previously commuting by car aren't doing it, even if a lot of people, some people are switched from public transport. Mm. Yeah, it's it's. I, this is why I want to go through it and pick through it because I want to understand the methodologies. Um, but I have, you know, I have trust in the the data wranglers who've who've been involved in this one. So it's interesting because it's debunking some of the stuff that even, yeah. some of the things that even I was 
sort of expecting in terms of long-term trends. Um, retail spending broadly stable. People have been doing much more online shopping. Okay, that, that's kind of fine and obvious. Um, and this one's, again, a really nice one. So there's a lot of good news stuff here, which is that many more people have walked more often. There's a hu- there was a huge increase seen in October 2020, and this has been man- maintained well into into last year. So there's some interesting stuff there, and hopefully we can pick through that with, with Gillian. It'd be really good for, for Gillian to kind of do a bit of a presentation on that. Um, Gillian, if you're out there, it'd be uh, great to hear from you. So... Um, uh, the other oh god, there's so many news things. We're gonna hammer through these, right? The other thing is obviously COVID is now over. Uh, apparently, obviously it's not. But uh, and this is absolutely borne out by by kind of anecdotal evidence of seeing how few people, by which I mean basically no one, was wearing masks on the train. But there's lots of this, lots of the trends of, of the number of people who are avoiding public transport, uh, the amount of remote working. Is this interesting? Because this is now at sixteen percent. So if anyone's saying everyone's working from home, here's the data to point out they're really not. Um, the number of people um, avoiding uh, large social gatherings is dropping away. Um, and on all this, all this stuff, this kind of the stuff you'd expect, to be honest. But it's, uh, it's just interesting to see it laid out. That we're very much kind of society appears to be moving back to normality, even though around the globe there are some very scary waves happening again. Hong Kong is a good example. Korea to a slightly lesser extent. Um, so, yeah, that's, that's kind of really interesting. Um, so... Let's keep going. The other big news, the really big news, um, is that uh, the Carmen derailment report is out. The RAIB, the Rail Accident Investigation Branch, have published the Carmen report. Um, the way that I've been remembering the results of that are the three Cs, which is first uh, is CDM, uh, which uh, I'll explain uh, next week. Spoiler alert. Uh, the second is crisis management. And the third is crashworthiness. So those are the big three C's in the report of things that we we, we can and hopefully will learn. Um, uh, Key paragraph in here from all the people who shouted very loudly at me a year ago when the interim report came out. Uh, Lots of people saying some fairly unpleasant things and sort of saying, oh, he doesn't know what he's talking about or uh, or he's trying to mislead people. When I was talking about crashworthiness to the HST. Um, Key key paragraph, which is paragraph 535 in the report. Kind of excerpts here that are worth reading. Firstly, um, the outcome would have been better if the train had been compliant with modern crashworthiness standards. There it is in in black and white. Uh, Cannot... Can't, can't read that any other way. And also, another thing that I got called out on at the time, but has now been vindicated, is the fact that the RAIB have said a comparison with the derailment at Greyrig in February 2007 provides some evidence to support this. So they're, they're confirming that Greyrig was a good way to compare, and they break that down even further by saying that the, the ratio of kinetic energy to train weight involved in the in the, the Greyrig derailment was around 1.7 times that at Carmen, nearly double, and it occurred close to a steep embankment, which also adversely affected the train's post-derailment behaviour. So... We'll be unpicking that um, next week, by the way. Uh, spoiler alert. But the other interesting thing that's happened, I don't know how much you've been following this, uh, John, is that um, so the unions immediately responded with saying, I wish they'd done this at the time, but they were obviously being tentative because they didn't want to be left without any backup to sort of support them shouting about it. But they are finally now saying that they don't feel comfortable driving these, not just from a driver safety perspective, from also a passenger safety perspective. And so they've said they, they've, they've, they've sort of got angry about it. And rightly so, Scottish ministers are considering uh, are looking at the the early removal and early retirement of the hsts uh, on the network so good news for passenger safety also good news for just comfort because i have to say that 
much as they look snazzy with their exterior skin and the um, haggis storage stickers on the doors are fun, they're knackered old trains that don't ride very nicely and they squeak horribly. So uh, probably a good thing for everyone if if, the new, if they're replaced. Uh, I deal with bi-modes. I deal with Stadler bi-modes, actually, because then they can be level boarding as well. Anyway, yeah, sorry, John, I don't know if you've been following some of the kind of the fallout from the report. Yeah, I um, I mean, I, I agree with you completely. It's definitely the right the right decision. I, I don't know what the audience... I think the re- the audience of Railnatter does tend more towards the sort of practical side of transport rather than the sort of um, enthusiastic... Uh, the enthusiast side of sort of being sad about old trains being phased out. But, <laughs> yeah. Um, I, uh, yeah, I've, I love... I, the HST's great. I've got a HST mug downstairs, but it's not... <laughs> Yeah, it's, we should probably have new trains. When it, it, as as was pointed out, um, the train is literally a museum piece because that picture is from the National Railway Museum. They've actually moved yeah. it and hidden it behind Delta, behind where the, where um where the the kind of the, the the peak and the Delta car over in the corner by the the entrance to the North Shed. But um, yeah, it's in the museum at the same time that they're being run around. It, it's not actually great PR. So um, uh, yes. Uh, so anyway, right, that is for next week, as 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 I'll point out um, later on. Uh, so there's another report which is very interesting by Motability, released this month, um, about the financial impacts to the economy of uh, dreadful accessibility, a thing which obviously is something I champion. And they actually point out that annually there's a £72.5 billion hit to the UK economy per year by limiting access to, to transport, particularly to public transport. So so that's a really interesting report. I don't know if we'll do a page turn on it, but it's certainly something that's very interesting. If you've got things in there that you find interesting that you want to unpick, then do tweet me or, or chuck stuff in the Discord. Um I'm gonna I'm gonna continue hammering. Uh this is getting relevant to today's episode actually. It's already twenty seventeen, good grief. Uh, small change of Castlefield. Castlefield have been given eighty four million, which is a which is some money. It'll be useful, but it's all for kind of tweaking signaling it's not for any major changes to the infrastructure and it might make some small change but it's not going to make a big um, a big impact uh, in honesty so okay good fine it's a start but it's not the grade separation or indeed the new s-bahn tunnel that manchester is desperate for so so that's but at least it's something i suppose this is this is what we've been reduced to which is what we have to fight stop we need to stop accepting scraps and fight for good stuff anyway um another paper uh uh, Giulio Mattioli has uh, always great on Twitter. Go go follow go 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 and follow that Twitter feed. It's brilliant. But particularly the the there's a really interesting paper based on UK data looking at the in, uh, the impact of um, expenditures when fuel prices uh, peak and and looking at households that rely on cars versus those that don't. Very interesting indeed. The broad, as you'd kind of expect, but it's nice to sit backed up in the data, is that car dependency is absolutely a shackle for low earners. So if you want kind of social equality, then public transport and access to public transport is critical. And there's and the paper, is, I'm doing my best to try and pick out interesting papers in, in Rail Matters because I think it's always good for us to look at the raw data as well as sort of the broader news stories. Um, so go and pick up that paper. It looks really good. Um, uh, stupid El, El Sevier. It's the sort of paper that should be available to everyone because it was paid for by public money, but actually you have to pay El Sevier a million quid to get access to it. But hopefully there are ways to subvert that. I'm not going to advertise them here. Uh, <coughs> cough. But also other stories at the same time because it's because uh, car dependency is a shackle for everyone because there's another paper... Uh, another bit of research from Stefan Gosling, um, looking at the fact that motorists generally underestimate the full costs of car ownership, and policymakers and planners totally underestimate their social costs. This is nothing new. All of us watching this and listening to this know that. But again, it's interesting to see papers that back it up. 
Oof, I'm hammering through these, John, so we get so we make some headway. Um, what else in the news? Oh, yeah, this is interesting. Mixed messages from the DFT. The DFT have have they've they've written a letter to to all councils saying pause slash cancel any road building that hasn't been appropriate that that's likely to increase carbon emissions. So this is, I mean, this is good, but but. But it seems pretty random, and I don't know whether it's just a—I don't know whether it's a, a cynical power grab so that they can bring all the projects in house and turn them into leveling up projects, or whether it is a genuine positive move by the DFT. I, I'm so cynical at this point and so kind of jaded that I have no idea. Uh, did you spot this, John? Is, is this something you spotted? I, I did see it briefly. Yeah, I, I have to say I agree. I, I don't—I don't know whether this is. Um... Uh, and you know a striking example of the government trying to hit net zero targets, or whether it's weird or yeah, it's, it's difficult to say exactly where it's coming from. Um, it's certainly not joined up. I, I think that's fair to say whatever's going on. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's absolutely true. It's it's it seems like a, it seems like it was out of the blue without any consultation to councils. And yet again, okay, if we ignore the fact that road building is stupid, that's a lot. That'll be a huge amount of local authority funding that essentially is now gone to waste from already slashed budgets. So that that in and of itself is, is not good. Uh, highways officers are as stretched thin as ever they have been. And so wasting their time with projects that are then cancelled is, is not a good use of them when they should be doing uh, cycle stuff. Um, I mean, right. Yeah, oh, yeah, go on. I have to say, like, well, surely there's no road building that won't increase carbon emissions. I mean, it's, yeah, yeah, exactly. it's a difficult criteria to meet there. I, I suppose it's a case of... Uh, it depends what black box they're using and what sums they make up. You know, the, the DFT is very good at, at trying to suggest that roads will reduce carbon emissions whilst just sweeping some stuff under the carpet. So who knows? Right. Next news thing. Oh, we're getting closer to relevant stuff. So buses back on track. This is very exciting and good grief. It's only taken like 20 years of lobbying and, and local authority effort. But outside, finally, um, Grand, Greater Manchester is taking much more control of its buses. Buses are indeed back on track, so to speak, because they're they're, they're getting control. Um, they're going to be able to control fares. And the first thing they've they've announced, and they announced a load of other things, but kind of the key headline thing was the fact that bus passenger fares are going to be capped at two quid um, across Manchester. Daily cap of two quid. Oh, maybe it's not daily cap actually, but it's a journey, a leg cap of two quid. I can't exactly remember which way around it is, but um. Uh, anyway, that's very good news. So, so yeah, go 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 to the Manchester Evening News for the latest on that. Um, Charlotte Cox, in fact, has been on top of that story. So, yeah, there's loads of good stuff on there to, to kind of understand exactly what's been happening and what's being proposed. But that's exciting. It's what devolution can deliver, which is the theme. Talking of which, um, devolution chaos. There was a very interesting um, piece that was that, that was flagged up on Twitter um, by the local government chronicle. Fascinating uh, thing for everyone to go and look up there. I've no doubt, lol. Um, but they... They basically they're looking at the absolutely chaotic approach to devolution that, that is currently happening. Um, and, and they did this map, which is great. And it's going to lead us into the episode nicely. Um, and we come back to this map. But this is a map of all of the different sorts of devolution and the different structures of devolution and the different geographical boundaries of devolution that are currently being progressed. And it's good grief. It's giving me a headache looking at it. It's quite something. It's a, it's a great map, actually. I think it illustrates really well what a dog's breakfast at all is. I mean, <laughs> yeah. you, you go back to the um, the sort of... I, I didn't realise this until a few years ago when I was looking it up, because you wouldn't be able to tell from looking at the system now, but originally it was, you know, metropolitan counties and counties with districts nestled inside them, and it was yeah. actually quite a rational system. But then they sort of twisted it and they said, well, districts can become unitary authorities, and they got rid of 
the urban uh, the urban councils, the metropolitan councils, then says counties can also become unitary authorities. And then they were like, oh, also we need combined authorities and smashed it all together and gave London a separate deal. And it's all very, yeah, it doesn't make a lot of sense. And it's hard to see how you, people can sort of be, it can be accountable because who's following that? You know, who knows yeah, yeah. what's going on? It's, it's Exactly. It's a recipe for obfuscation and uh, duplication and waste, uh, among other things. And so this is what we're going to be talking about. And uh, all of you watching, hello, all of you watching. Uh, oh, by the way, Detour in the chat is giving hints as to how to get access to those papers, by the way. So everyone who's in the chat, or indeed if you're listening to audio only, come find the chat at the... Uh, what, what at the twenty three thirty second mark, and and you can uh, you can get hold of some tips in the in the in the in the chat. Um, so uh, without further ado, um, we get, let's 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 get on with it. Uh, welcome to tonight's rail Natter, everyone. Hooray! City 225. Beautiful. Oh, it's lovely, isn't it? Fading away. I didn't even give you the pre-warning to, to like not talk through the intro, and you just did it like an absolute pro. Just that, that was perfect. It was, it was beautifully done. Um, John, oh, before we talk about your piece, which started this whole thing off when I like messaged you like, mate, we need to do it. We need to do a rail on this. Um, let's let's just let's just deflate slightly after a very rushed news. Hi, John. You're on. People can see you now at long last. I've had you wittering away at you. Actually. Yeah. Well, thanks. Yeah. Thanks for coming back. Um, it was uh, the last episode was a really good one. We're drilling down, into, but we kind of kept it because we were covering so much, you know, just casually covering most of Western Europe in one go. Uh, this time we're drilling down a little bit into some detail, uh, which is, uh, well, well, we'll get on to that. But uh, how have you been? You all right? You, uh... Yeah, very good. Very good. Um... I try to think last time we spoke. You had just started, I think possibly just started doing your cycling videos. I think you were fairly early on in that process. And now, um, for some people, that's who you are. You're the the, the, the guy who cycles around London. People have forgotten yeah, the fact that you're a, replaced, a significant correspondent. Uh, replaced rail travel as my personal brand. But I, I do still, yeah, it's all about sustainability, isn't it? I do still love trains, so we're in there. Uh, yeah, I think so. the last time I actually saw you, actually, was that we went we went for a bike ride around London, um, the two of us, didn't we? That was good fun. We did. That was great. We have to do that again, actually, when the weather gets a bit yeah, nicer. It was, uh, it was horrible today. Yeah, that, that, that was great. It was... Um, it, it, it was it was quite fun. I was quite start, I was being guided around. It was it was great. Everyone um, strongly recommend. Actually, I'll put a link in the description after this. Uh, go and go find John's channel and, and watch those videos. If nothing else, they're incredibly therapeutic. They're really nice. To just put on and sort of just sort of lean back and sort of gently let the world go by. It's very nice. Um, but yeah, good. Um, yeah, that, that's well. It's it's very cool. That's it's seeing like increasingly like increasingly high follower account people start like sharing it out excitedly saying oh i live by this and da, 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 da. um wait, also you're on the yeah yeah you're on the you're on the tfl website which i think did, didn't city khan retweet you yeah he retweeted a it was a video of a particularly sunny day cycling through hackney i think i took you that way actually and yeah, it's, yeah. um yeah he actually sent it out twice and he actually got a lot of grief for it as well because everyone was saying oh you know it's uh, nice houses at Islington or something like that, but yeah, he, did, he wasn't deterred. I mean, so he's quite, I think, quite a cautious politician generally. But he did, uh, he has sort of at least he has thrown his weight behind low traffic neighbourhoods, yeah, which yeah. is fair play. Yeah, definitely. Although they're not his policy, you know, they're not really his prerogative. But yeah, yeah, for sure. And um, 
Right, so, I, I've just realised I've left the door open behind me, so uh, any, any manner of chaos might happen down the mic. Right, let us, um, let us crack on. So, um, I, so much is just constantly in my head. I just want to break into, uh, just want to break into James Acaster every time I say it. It's really, so, sorry to everyone who's like, yes, we know you watch Trash Future, but when you listen to so many episodes in a very short space of time, it, it brain worms into your head. Uh, John, you wrote this piece, and as soon as I saw it, um, I uh, had to finally work out how to properly register for the independent website uh, at long last to actually get in and read it. But it was worth it because it's, 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 a, it's, a, it's a, a, a neat little piece summarizing a lot of things that I think we're going to cover nicely in this, um, uh, in this episode. But yeah, um, in fact, I'm not going to get to talk about the piece because that's what the whole episode is. But that piece uh, kind of came from... Uh, it came from some work done by by Clean Cities. Uh, maybe I mean for anyone who doesn't know John, firstly John is the policy correspondent for the Independent. So if you didn't know that, uh, too, but I think everyone does. But uh, John, I'm now going to get you to explain who Clean Cities are because you said you met met up with them uh, to have a chat with them uh, the other day. So yeah, who are and what are Clean Cities and, and what what do they do? Yeah, so they're they're basically a campaign for um, uh, sort of sustainable transport in cities and. Uh, that's a mix of active travel like cycling which i'm into but also they advocate for public transport and um they did quite a, a good report which i wrote up um uh, and, and wrote that analysis piece off the back of uh and they compared a lot of stuff like accessibility to public transport affordability but the thing that i focused on was a uh, in the news piece was affordability because yeah, yeah. um i think that's one thing where urban transit in the uk really falls down and and i was uh, it was i really wrote quite a straight news piece about it sort of showing I think it was like the the three UK cities or that they'd included. I think it was Manchester, Birmingham, and uh, London were basically all ranked at the bottom of about you know, you know a couple of dozen European cities for affordability. Yeah. Um, and and there's I'm sure a lot of people on on RailNet who have got uh, very sophisticated views about uh, rail fares and public transport fares in the UK. You know, I'm I'm very much not team oh Britain's a ripoff or whatever but I think is that I think that is definitely more simplistically the case for urban transport yeah yeah buses and uh and where they exist metros although they don't tend to exist as much are actually just very very pricey um the London underground is great but comparative to uh to other places it's it's a very expensive system although it's very comprehensive and you get a lot for it um, but that, but then, of course, you know, buses in. I mean, that, the news we were talking about in Manchester earlier about the buses in Manchester being capped at two quid. That's fantastic, but two quid is still actually quite a pricey bus. Yeah, like, yeah. it's not, um, you know, by European standards, that that doesn't really uh, get you too far. Um, but basically, after I filed this uh, this piece, the um, uh, the opinion desk asked me to write an analysis of it, and I basically had to say why why is this the case and i think the thing that i wanted to hammer in that article i mean i had to think of think on the fly a little bit but i definitely still think this um is uh, is basically that the issue that we have in this country is that where in other countries you might have um local authorities regional authorities uh sort of powerful cities with the ability to uh, either raise funds to invest in public transport systems or also to subsidize day-to-day operations that isn't really the case in the UK, and it's really yeah. we talk a lot about devolution, but it's off uh, in this country, um, and don't do a lot of it. But it's yeah. um, we talk a lot about it often in terms of identity. I'll give these, give these, um, you know, give Yorkshire its powers, give Cornwall autonomy or whatever, 
um, you know, give give cities what London, other, other cities what London has got. And that's all well and good, and that's very important. It can be quite an emotional argument sometimes. But I think um, this is why I like what's going on in Manchester, actually. But I think the important thing is actually to stress what is the practical use of this devolutionary power. And for us, people who are interested in rail, interested in transport, um, and active travel as well, something I'm also interested in, the ability to... Um, fund your own projects and to also choose to subsidize the system and to raise the revenue to do that is something that's really missing in the UK policy framework, which isn't missing in other countries. Yeah. Um, and, you know, you can fund, a, you can run a decent public transport system without local government uh, powers and local government subsidies. You can do it with central government. But the problem is that central government has to be interested in doing it and they have to stay interested for as long as you want a public transport system. And they have to, you know, just basically never decide that they're going to uh, basically do what they're doing to TfL now. For ages, everyone was, yeah, oh, yeah. London's had it great. And to an extent, it has, it ha- does have a great public transport system in London. It's fantastic. Unfortunately, for whatever political reasons, the government decides it wants to hold London to the wall to make an example of it, or for whatever political reason it's decided. I, I honestly have no idea why they're doing it, to be honest. Um, or they it doesn't just make any sense. It makes absolutely yeah. no sense. Not even from a weird, twisted ideological perspective. It's just bonkers. Yeah. Yeah. I think I personally think they're keeping it in their back pocket. Um, you know, something a stick. You know, you, you don't get unpopular in British politics by having a stick to beat London with. So you can. Um, yeah. You yeah. keep it in the back pocket and break it out when it's useful. I don't, I don't think they've seen a useful point to use it, but if they can sort of hammer this like, uh, oh, city can't bankrupt the bankrupt the city or something, maybe that's something they'll um, they'll find yeah, useful. Yeah. But so, but basically, yeah, we yeah. Uh, sorry, I'll hand it to you in a second. But basically, wanted to uh, yeah to stress really that there's basically these missing local powers for transport, and that if we want to fix public transport, the devolution of public transport to very very. Uh, sim- very very linked issues if we don't fix them if you don't fix devolution then you won't fix urban transport yeah absolutely yeah so so and we'll break down don't worry everyone we're going to break down into quite into all of those themes in, in, a, in a lot more detail um so yeah so the clean cities project they've got a lovely website go find it i have absolutely no idea what it is but just search clean cities and it, it appears i think uh, again i'll remind me in the chat to put a link into the uh into the de- description um so it's a really nice piece and they've got I mean, it's a very nice website but they've got this the city ranking um so you can so it's, as you say they've got the, they've ranked cities and they've ranked as you say a load 36 cities against a load of metrics um and indeed here is the list it's here um and where are the UK ones? So we've got there's London number twelve, which is is, is pretty good. That's mostly boosted by um, uh, I think it was. It's isn't it? mostly by actually it's mostly booted but boosted by the policies by the, the clean air policies is the main thing that's boosting it actually. Um, so it's boosting it's boosting London because actually things like access to to transport isn't great compared to others. Uh, Safety is pretty good. Um, and then the space for people is dreadful, uh, which is interesting. And you can go into the breakdown of all these, and, and, and there's a lot more detail in the, in the, on the website. You can hover over things, and it gives you nice little pop-ups with breakdown. Uh, there's also Birmingham. There's Birmingham. Uh, what else? We've got Manchester. So Birmingham's in 17th, Manchester in the 30th. Uh, and what have I missed? Uh, oh, yeah, Edinburgh's 31st. Whoops. Uh, and, oh, yeah, that, I think that's it. I don't think I've missed any. Anyone shout at me if I've missed any other cities. So we've got four um, UK cities there. And uh, so Birmingham 17th, Manchester 30th, Edinburgh 31st. Uh, Birmingham is not great on a lot of things, but again, the clean air policy, I think, has helped. So again, it's getting a boost there. Um, and 
Uh, and then Manchester and, and Edinburgh just not not great. They, they're boosted by the safety of their roads compared to London even, actually. So that's kind of why they've made it onto this list, presumably. But it, yeah, so it's, it's very interesting to break these down. And you can go in and, and kind of, as I say, go into the website, hover over these, and, and you can un- get an understanding of, of how these break down. The key thing that, um, that, that, so John was alluding to this, and this is where you wrote the piece from, right? This is where you put your kind of news piece, was this this one here, which is access to climate-friendly mobility. And there's a little infographic that Clean Cities did, which I think is really nice. I think this this goes in, so the, the piece that you wrote was this one. This is the, this is actually, so this is the first piece you wrote, right? And then this one led into the, the, the premium piece I put up earlier. Yeah. So, um, and, and there's a nice little graphic here. So it's showing that the top three European cities for affordable and accessible public transport, Paris on top, then Lisbon, then Barcelona. And then the bottom three are... Uh, in decreasing order, Krakow, Ljubljana, and then at the bottom of the list is Manchester, forty-one percent. So this is absolutely relevant to that news story. Um, go, go on, John. You look like you've got your itching to say. Yeah, anything. very much so. So I mean, the the what the news piece highlighted was really just focusing in on the affordability itself, yeah. and that was where the three uh, the three English cities just basically all landed at the bottom um, yeah, in yeah. The slots, which was uh, yeah, not great to say the least. Yeah. So it's so yeah, exactly. So you just and and if you hover over it on the website, if you hover over it, it, splits I think into three things. One of which is affordability, and that I, that'll be the data set, as you say. If you look at the at those three uh, at London, Manchester, and Birmingham, they are they are the bottom of that ranking, as in they are the most expensive. So yeah, um, it's a good piece. It's well worth reading because it's just a little bit. I mean, all of us on here, everyone watching, everyone everyone in the chat, everyone listening should get this already. Should know this. It's uncomfortable to see it in black and white, and and always I never get why this doesn't cut through. It never seems to cut through. Like you'd hope that some level of embarrassment would exist uh, to make action happen, but it never seems to, does it? Um, it never you seems know, to. You know, I actually think that there is sort of a folk a folk wisdom about um, public transport fares being expensive in Britain. If if you sort of say, oh, I, you, you sort of say, oh, get a TGV when you're on holiday in France, or have you been on the German trains? People say, oh, it's really cheap, isn't it? And that isn't always true, but it's definitely true for urban transport. I, I thought the methodology they used for the affordability in the report was really interesting. So they didn't just compare the um, the raw fares. They actually looked at the cost of a, I believe it was a weekly travel card as um, covering sort of an equivalent zone as a proportion of household income. And despite that, um, cities like Copenhagen, which obviously has an extremely high um, household income, still still did very well, um, which, uh, you know, is very interesting. I mean, I suppose you have to compare it that way to stop, you know, uh, Krakow having, you know, it's going to be like too, not very expensive for a tram because incomes are much lower, but sort of by comparison. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, and it, and as you say, this, this then le- led you kind of down the, the dark alley of, of exploring what, what the the main blocker is, and I, I suppose your thesis is that the main blocker to the to improvement is in fact the lack of devolved power. That's the main thing. Um, so, uh, and and you kind of explained a little bit, I think, in, in, in when you, when you opened there. But I think we'll break it a, into a bit more, which is to actually talk about what what devolution is uh, and what it can achieve. So, um, firstly, I mean, my first the first slide I've got here is an image uh, is the uh, the new Bank of England logo, which they very politely decided to add. Uh, a union flag rather than the previous St. George's Cross onto it. It's very good. And then it made it made everyone in the Daily Mail very angry. Uh, to be fair, it's also stupid that it's called the Bank of England. when it. Uh, but anyway, we'll fine. We'll pause that. But I thought we'd go big face for a little bit while we just talk about what, what devolution actually is 
and how that ties back to the Bank of England and to funding powers. And uh, and you've already touched on a bit of that history and a bit of the fact, in fact, in the before the news, you touched on the a bit of that history of our weird relationship with boundaries and authorities and, 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 and authority structure. Um, yeah, so so go for, have a look. Yeah, I mean, basically, the two of, we can we can we can open that discussion up a bit and, and, and explore devolution. But uh, I mean, maybe yeah, maybe the first thing to start with is to, is is to explain what what devolution is and what your what, what you how you describe devolution to someone who'd never heard of it before. Yeah, so I mean, I think the the easiest way to describe devolution is the allocation of powers to local areas, and you can allocate. Um, all sorts of powers uh, to look at those, but the I think the important ones that you know you can sort of allow them to sort of manage their services and things like that. But I think the important ones are revenue raising, the ability to spend money or to borrow money and invest, um, and that's really sort of whoever holds the purse strings really gets you know that's that's where the actual power is. Everything else is quite cosmetic. Um, to an extent, local councils in this country tend to be um, really just like delivery, delivery authorities for national government priorities. So what I mean by that is the government will basically set a strategic goal and they say, oh, councils can do this. But councils can't sort of often can't cook up their own policies from scratch and decide what they want to do. You know, um, so even if they had the, the vision to do it, they just simply wouldn't have the ability to raise funding to make major changes. Um, I, I think by devolution i think you as well you can talk about different layers so you have devolution to local areas uh local authorities council areas but you also have um different sorts of economic units that you touched on earlier so you have say for instance city regions um and a city region like london has power to do to do things that other areas don't really have the the power to do um, and then outside of cities as well, though, you, in most countries have regional regional state government. So in the US, we're very familiar with the states of the union, but Germany also has uh, states yeah, and even France, which is considered a very centralized country, has its uh, has sort of large, uh, gra- gra- basically large regions. Um, and these all I think the, the important thing about having these different areas is that they allow you to they are, basically the person who's in charge of spending money is interested in this area because the problem that we have in the uk is that the politicians <laughs> westminster can only focus on um on a certain amount of you know there's only a certain amount of political bandwidth in westminster at any one time and that's great for the capital because every mp is intimately familiar with the capital <laughs> yeah. and, and in theory the there are mps well there are mps from all over the country but the problem is they're not all going to get the spotlight and so if you have instead of regional government, well, the regional government is always thinking about its region and it wants to do what you might refer to as vanity projects in its region. Um, yeah, because <laughs> it wants the well, it's the biggest it's it, as London has shown, actually. And it's a thing that it's weird that, that even the DFT is considered so so as uh, such a rubbish department by everyone in, in Westminster. But actually, the, arguably one of the biggest levers that any level of government has to pull is the transport lever is the make more public transport or change road transport policy. It's a huge lever. And so it's a huge that's uh, why we see the success of public transport where devolution does happen, because it's a big lever and local politicians want to pull it. They're excited to pull it. Yeah, very much so. And, and I think another thing to to sort of highlight as well is that the although we have a sort of we have some power devolved to local authorities as in just local councils there there's something inherently 
a region has a, a region is inherently larger if it's a collection of different local councils and some projects are just inherently for a region rather than a small area so you know a, a london borough if if london bor- if there wasn't london regional government the the london borough of like camden isn't going to build a metro system it doesn't make sense because the travel to work area is over the bor- is over the borough boundary into like westminster it's into the city goes to maybe southwark or lambeth and the ability to have proper regional government allows you to sort of properly coordinate um, these sorts of transport projects, which inherently cross boundaries and aren't necessarily on political lines. I mean, you you wouldn't necessarily that wouldn't necessarily be the case if we had very if we somehow had extremely rational boundaries for uh, for local authorities, but we don't. So you know, there you, it's really an attempt to build these sort of proper regions. Uh, yeah. So if I skip us back to um, back to the Bank of England again, um, the reason I put the bank, there's lots of chat going on about Bank of Scotland and RBS and, and the other kind of um, the other kind of national banks, if you like. The reason I put the Bank of England up, though, because it's the only one that's really relevant in this discussion, because as the sovereign currency issuer, it's the only one that can actually borrow. You know, It's the only one that government can borrow cash from on a large scale. You cannot. The Scottish government cannot. It, it, it cannot borrow cash from uh, RBS or Bank of Scotland. They're not. It, whereas the Bank of England is the one that essentially is in charge of G, GBP, is in charge of pound sterling, so can be borrowed against. And this is the, the challenge: is that only Westminster is allowed to do that, and so they hold the they, they kind of hold the key to the safe, if you like, on on borrowing large large amounts of money. John, do you have any better explanations of what I just said to to, to make that point? Well, Everyone talking so about the. Yeah. Essentially, the the way that the Treasury funds most of its public spending is by issuing bonds. And, you know, in, uh, in, in say, the United States, individual states can issue their own debt, basically, and they can they can borrow money. And um, that's uh, that basically allows you to have something like, say, California high speed rail. I mean, obviously, we're talking a, mu- a, a much wider sort of um, uh, a very different geographical um, yeah, 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 yeah error here but the, the principle is similar i mean i it would be interesting should we move on to sort of some of the ways that maybe european countries yeah uh, let's let's do it it's, it's a good idea so so that's yeah. so that's so that's bank of england and it's worth saying um so so kind of yeah the, the, this is i was i was perhaps before we do that it was, it was a chance to to look very maybe just very briefly at, at what that devolution you've talked about is and all the different areas so so all these different colors refer to different things so the red ones are our devolution deals that these kind of dark blue ones are, 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 sorry, the red ones are where there is an existing devolution deal, although devolution deal is, it's mixed in terms of what that actually means in terms of, of powers, and it doesn't mean funding powers, really. Um, there are devolution talks in all these blue ones. Um, the yellow ones are seeking to have devolution talks. The green ones are reorganizing in some way, uh, which is, you know, question mark the, the 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 light blue is that there's some local interest in devolution and then the, the kind of this this sandy colored one is that no one cares and no one's talked about anything and then the symbols within it are the fact that there's discussions about county deals and elected mayors and also my favorite one is this like red star here which is trailblazers for further devolution pass i have no idea so there's all sorts of chaos going on um there's no and, and, and none of this is happening with the intention of them getting proper funding powers anyway so i think that's where uh, as you say it's probably worth us then talking about what happens um uh well 
Well, do you want to do, do you want to talk about what full GB devolution could look like, or should we talk a bit about Europe first? Let's chat about the map. Yeah. So I oh, mean, go on, yeah. I think I think it's interesting. Um, it, it's obviously a real patchwork, and I I think the the issue that you get here, the real overarching issue, is is to do with the political system. So. In in most countries you have a and we, we used to have one in the UK, you have quite a rational system of devolution. So you might have a country split into a number of regions, and then within those regions you might have local municipalities, which is actually what we used to have in the sort of the seventies and the eighties until Margaret Thatcher got rid of it. Yeah. Um abolished metropolitan councils and then we had no regional authority, but uh, in city areas, which is the, the the part where you probably need it the most. And um the problem is that the way that these devolution deals have been done is basically the problem is that they're deals basically so they go to local councillors and they say oh do you want to team up with the councillors next door put together a bid and we'll sort of agree a sort of bespoke package of funding powers and you end up with local authorities like i mean it's basically just horse trading between local councillors so you end up with a local authority called like north of tyne which yeah, just, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's absurd like that should obviously be you know the tyne and weir on the low the you know there are sort of very obvious <laughs> you're sort of places that are missing out on very obvious sort of large city region deals and the way to actually build build devolution city regions is simply to look at the look at the urban and metropolitan areas of the country and draw boundaries around them and say this region is here this this is the region of um you know south yorkshire this is the region of west yorkshire this is the region of greater manchester this is the region of greater london and simply give them the powers that you would give to a city yeah um but that doesn't or a metropolitan city and that's generally what happens in most countries but the reason it doesn't happen here where we used to have it councillors have very local councillors basically don't like it because it means less power for them um yeah and local councillors in both the Conservative and Labour parties have quite a lot of local power. They they have quite a lot of power within the party. So they are, you know, big wigs within local constituency parties. Um, they sort of often have a constitutional role within the party and they're an important support base. So if you were to declare war on all of them at once, then it would be quite, you pro- your political career probably wouldn't be too long for this world. Um, so that's why it doesn't happen. But I'm just here to say, well, do it because it should happen because we need it. <laughs> yeah, the, the, the pressing pressures that we're facing, not just with climate change, but absolutely should be knocking heads together. And But yeah, unfortunately, any, anyone who's been anywhere near local councils, local government and indeed national government know that it's such a constant power game of who gets to feel like they are maintaining the power that they've already got. And it's a shame that it's like that, but it is like that. And and whether it comes from a place of that power, oh, but I, that power is how I help people, or I just like that power, I'm a glutton for that power, it does get in the way of this. And we'll get to some of the other problems with why devolution hasn't been happening properly. Um, obviously, this, man, this map is obviously just England, for, for anyone who's like getting angry that it doesn't include the other bits. So I've added all the other bits of the of, of the archipelago, including our friends over in, in Ireland. Um, the Republic of. Uh, yes, so... Although Ireland actually probably the only other country in Europe which doesn't also have a strong regional local government. It's interestingly interesting. probably inherited from... Uh, yeah. Ah, that, that is interesting. Uh, hmm, one for one for future consideration. Um, so, right, let's... Now, this is a little bit fanciful. So for me, uh, it's a bit, a bit what we've discussed already, but it's in fact, it definitely is. So, so what might full GB devolution... So I'm kind of parking Northern Ireland... Partly because um, it's 
separated by water and so kind of has a different deal anyway because of the geopolitics there. Uh, but also it kind of makes the discussion a bit easier um, and uh, I'm not well equipped to go into the details of the devolution deal that, that Northern Ireland has. So I'm just going to look at GB for now. Um, uh, and and we'll, we'll talk about what it can enable as well and we'll get to some nice, happy, future, nice things. So we've already talked about chaos mode, which is just, as you say, it's, it's essentially, it, it's the worst of all worlds in that you've got lots of people who are just basically getting more mini empires that aren't talking to each other and it's it's not very democratic and it's it's not very accountable a better option might be to follow the model of um some proper regional large-scale devolution so almost if you like a federal sort of a federal model or 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 sort of having regional almost a regional parliamentary level so you have a strong breakdown of 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 england Wales and Scotland kind of remain as, as as each as their own entities. But I've talked about this before, actually, ages ago, on the what structure should the railways have. And I, I like the idea of one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight regions. That is that is the right number, isn't it? I can count one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Yes, eight. Um, where you have Northumbria as its own thing, uh, Mercia as kind of the Midlands, East Anglia as its own thing, uh, Dumnonia as a mixture of uh, of Cornwall and a bit of... Uh, and, and like not quite along the Devon, bound, Devon and Somerset boundary, but kind of you've got Dumnonia and then Wessex, Thames and Solent, Southern as a big lump, and then this the County of London. So it's so beyond the the council, the, the kind of Greater London Council boundary, but kind of out into the areas that let's face it really are economic hinterlands of the of the city. And actually, it gives you quite a nice even. And we've I've talked about this in the previous episode, so I won't dwell on it. But for me, this gives a much broader. So these regions with proper devolved power are the right size in my to my mind to actually direct. You talked about it earlier. These big projects they don't work really if you're just looking at kind of one small kind of kind of combined authority a combined authority doesn't have the size um and likewise the the a city is going to potentially if it's just focused around the city you risk just just the, the kind of the city looking in and of itself i, I quite like this this idea this, this kind of this this being the model john your thoughts yeah so i mean personally i wouldn't draw the boundaries exactly like that but and i've actually tried to do this myself with regions I, a couple of years ago i tried mm. sketching some out on the back of a, a uh, well on ms paint and, <laughs> and what i learned over the course of about two days is that no matter what boundaries you draw like someone's going to kick off basically and they get really annoyed yeah. people get really really angry about this stuff because it's because it's not just about because there's this constant tension between what's the economic and political reality and then also what about identity yeah um, so, you know, if you sort of draw, I, I tried doing one that was basically, you would call it maybe Northwest England. And I tried one, I, I tried calling it Greater Lancashire, but I included uh, Merseyside, which is apparently a big no-no, don't do that. So, no, right, yeah. Right. Well, this, so, and, and this is it, it's the cult, people don't like being affiliated to groups of people who they don't feel like they're affiliated with. Yeah. So it's all those cultural things. And, and again, this is kind of, and this is one of the reasons, not the only reason, but one of the reasons why almost no one's kind of bothering to fix the mess that is local authority boundaries and, and, and administrative boundaries. Yeah, I was going to thank you immediately for it. I, I, I think the I think the important thing is to remember is that this isn't a reason not to do it. Um, yeah, like yeah, yeah. After about five years, everyone will have forgotten and they'll be obsessed with being whatever, they, whatever they're whatever now. Um, I, I do think you, you mentioned about not just doing city regions, but doing larger regions. I think there's a debate to be had about 
how you do that because I think there is a value for for metropolitan regions, say, to have a to have their own. I'm region. getting there. Don't worry, John. I'm, I'm definitely yeah. so. Yeah. And in other countries, it doesn't sort of stop them having two layers or three layers or whatever. We shouldn't be shy of that. So my personal, so my, so so my personal model is that you have this regional level, and then overlaid onto that. So so for example, you end up with these transport authorities. So we've already got some of these, you know, Transport Scotland, Transport for Wales, um, Transport for the North. Although they've had all their power stripped away from them, so they're, they're not much more than a brand at this point. Um, but on top of that, as you say, for me, I would then be overlaying the the city re, you know cities to have their own powers like seriously vigorous powers for the city regions and some of those cities are ones that maybe don't make the news much so the Hampshire conurbation for example the South Hampshire conurbation is a, is, a, is a key one um uh you've got obviously Bristol's in there South Wales kind of its own thing South Yorkshire West Yorkshire um but yeah I think uh, the East Midlands is a funny one because it's a bit of a tri-city spread out thing but the East Midlands is always a bit funny because it's quite densely populated but sort of weirdly spread out. But yeah so I, I think then you'd have you'd, you'd overlay a regional devolution with with city it's kind of city devolution like this. And and I think this is now where we can talk about what happens in other countries because if we jump to the map of Germany and we're going to sit the map of Germany here um uh, this is the map that you put up in your last presentation at the last the last episode you're in actually. And uh, and it's of all of the S-Bahn systems. The green is S-Bahn, the, the yellow is sort of tram train. Um, and I think this slide is a nice one for us to talk about, firstly, what devolution looks like in other countries, as, as you sort of alluded to earlier, and secondly, what it, what it can afford. And then obviously we'll go through the other slides. We've got some other slides of some other kind of tables and then some nice nice indicators of what you can get. But let's start with, with other, other, other countries, uh, you know, in Europe, that are our close neighbours. What does devolution look like? Yeah, so I mean, it, the answer is it varies, but in all cases, uh, region uh, regions and, and city regions have the ability, and even you know towns actually have the ability to, to, in some cases, towns have the ability to determine their local transport priorities. They have the ability both to raise money to do it without having to go cap in hand to Westminster. They don't have to get the attention of Westminster. They don't have to lobby Westminster so much. It's more about you can elect local officials to do stuff and they'll do it. Um, and they can also choose to subsidize uh, local transport if they wish to, which is, a you know, you might not want to do it, but it's certainly a legitimate choice. I mean, I think most people on the chat probably think you need some day-to-day yeah. sort of -day subsidy for public transport, particularly urban transport, just because of the positive externalities, um, getting cars off the road, um, just making cities nicer generally. Um, I mean, we've got Germany up there, so it's an interesting uh, sort of way way of looking at how maybe an example of how a project is, projects are funded in Germany. You might have heard of uh, Stuttgart 21, which is basically a sort of a, a massive rebuild of uh, Stuttgart's station. Stuttgart's a very, you know, it's a reasonably important city in Germany. It's there. You can see it. Thank you for highlighting that. Um, it's but it's not like the capital of Germany. It's not anywhere near the biggest city. Uh, it's not the biggest, most important financial city. And yet you get this major uh, mainline railway project essentially to replace the station with a through station, which has all these benefits for, yes, intercity trains, high-speed trains, but also a local S-Bahn. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's the way they fund that is they you get about sort of 1.1 billion from Deutsche Bahn, which is the state railway. Um, and you get about 500 uh, million from the federal government uh, for the federal government. So yeah, federal government's still there. They they help out. But then the state of uh, Baden-Württemberg uh, 
uh, provides, uh, I think, about sort of 660 million. So, you know, that's the state is they're they're able to uh, there provides more cash basically than the federal government. And uh, that but that project is not a good example of a project that's gone well. It's a notoriously, <laughs> yeah, yeah. notoriously poorly, poorly received project. But um, they actually made provisions for budget increases there. And in that case, you it's actually another sort of 800 million from Baden-Württemberg and another sort of 200 million from Deutsche Bahn. So actually the cost overruns actually went on the local state which is interesting because one of the sort of problems with getting public transport commissioned, you know, infrastructure built in this country is often that Westminster sort of looks and goes, yeah, you say you can build it for this, but will you actually? And they don't like taking these risks. But if you can offload the risk on the local authority as well, that, that does help. I mean, in, in Germany, they the, the sort of uh, the state's sort of competent so they can sort of they can make bank loans. They can get money from the European Investment Bank. Um, as incompetent to uh, make financial decisions as uh, a sort of legal competency. They can also, uh, they also raise local municipal taxes with something called, uh, I think it's called a trade tax. So it's basically a local corporation tax that they load on top of the national one. And that's their sort of main sort of revenue backs, revenue raising powers. It's not as restricted as council tax. Obviously we have council tax business rates in this country, but they tend to be, um, uh, they're, they're very restricted, so you, you can't really raise council tax quick, very quickly without holding a referendum so, to the government, which is a terrible. It's worth I'll, I'll, cutting in, uh, but it's worth. We'll, we'll come back to that specific point about biz, uh, levying business uh, kind of rates on business because London did do that for Crossrail. Yeah, exactly. And it, so uh, that's the that's an example of how of where it did actually work. Mm-hmm. The, 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 fun, the funny thing about that is though that the so the. Uh, the sort of power to introduce the business rate supplement, which raised about six billion quid, I think it was oh, wow. very, very impressive. It was a huge amount of yeah, a huge portion of the, the funding for Crossrail. That was actually that required in the same sort of spirit of those devolution deals we're looking at earlier. It required a specific bespoke deal. So the government at the time had to pass a 2009 business rate supplement act to basically give <laughs> them the power to introduce this local tax it's almost like medieval kind of you know yes, um, yeah the, the uh, charter that allows you to levy a single tax to fund a single project and we'll pick up on we'll pick up on that again and some of the challenges other cities in the uk have had um in a minute actually and then kind of we come to the next and last section but uh yeah it's it, so so those are opportunities what about other other countries are there any differences other any other sort of uh, sort of structures that you've seen that you think that, that or do you think we've kind of covered it by describing what sort of happens in germany there yeah so i actually think that there's a structure that we can sort of learn from the structure we can maybe learn from the most in the uk and is probably france and actually you might find that surprising because france is usually considered quite a centralized country but actually uh, the, we can they have a system which actually means allows you you don't actually have to fix all your regional power you can actually just impose this sort of on top of whatever structure you've got and in france they have a system called the uh uh basically local local authorities are allowed urban authorities are allowed to impose a uh, essentially a payroll tax on employers so very similar to employers national insurance um it's called the versement transport or um abbreviated to the vt um, and that basically allows uh, local regional authorities to impose a 2% tax on um, companies with employees of more than, uh, I think, more than 11 employees. And it was originally introduced in the 70s for urban reasons with over about sort of 300,000 people. 
Um, but it's gradually the threshold has been lowered. So you can actually, if you're just a town with like 10,000 people, you can actually impose one as oh, well wow. since the, yeah, since the late nineties. Um, and that was originally intended basically to be, it's very, very similar to the cross rail business rates thing, actually, mm. extreme, although it's a payroll tax rather than a business rate supplement, which is a property tax. Um, and that allows you to basically raise cash. It was initially intended to raise cash for just infrastructure development. And it's been extremely successful at doing that. So um, I don't know if anybody knows this, but since uh, since the turn of the century, since sort of the year 2000, France has actually opened 21 trams. Ah, yeah, no, I, I can so have, have a slide for this because... Yes, you gave me this table, which is really good. So, so yes, this is that. This is the table. This is this is this is the table of of tram systems. Um, so yeah, sorry, continue. Yeah, it's a this is a great table to study it. So you can see the the you basically the column to look at is actually the reopened column because you could you could do a, you could do a table like this for the UK as well because of course we had historic tram systems which. Yeah. I mean, actually, the, the tram systems which were built have very little to do with the ones that they had back in the day, and they closed. They're often they're very modern tram systems with you know modern rolling stock. That's much more like a rapid transit. But the, the sort of cheeky UK politician might brand as a metro, even though it annoys everybody on rail natter correctly. Correctly. <laughs> um, and yeah, you can see that they've. I mean, I, I said since two thousand they built. Um, uh, 21 but i mean there were a few there built before 2000 as well they really got them going um and i don't and these aren't just you know single line tram systems like you can look at strasbourg which is a, i don't know if anybody's been to strasbourg but it's a beautiful city and the tram is actually really the urban transport is what what allows them to have this great pedestrianized center um and their their tramway i think has like six lines and it's like 55 kilometers or something like that so these are like hefty systems. It's a sort of, you know, Manchester Metrolink style system, but in like 21 or, well, they've got them in probably about, I think, 25 um, cities there now. So, yeah, that's important. But it, so it really that sort of gives local authorities the autonomy and power to invest. And in a lot of cases, the central government does provide additional grants, just like in the, the Stuttgart example. Yeah. But it's, it's having that, you know, it, it's basically giving local leaders the ability to plan and basically mostly fund it themselves um, and it isn't just um uh for investment so it's also for day-to-day -day subsidy that that tax is used so um you might wonder why why is paris metro fare so cheap well 40 percent of the operating costs of all the public transport in ile de france are funded which is the sort of greater paris city region are funded by the uh, the Versailles Transport. Um, I think that's ah, okay. yeah, yeah. so it's huge. Like it's really big subsidy, and that's why it's very cheap. And you know you can do that in the UK. Um, central government did used to give TfL a block grant to keep fares low, yeah. um, but they don't anymore because they decided they didn't want to. But London would never vote not to do that. And if you think about it, really from an from the sort of perspective of being an employer in the city. I mean, the, the downside to levying, levying a tax is that someone's got to pay it. But I think most employers will probably be very, very happy to say, yes, I benefit massively from being in this city with fantastic public transport. And yeah, we can pay a 2% payroll tax to, to pay it. If they don't agree with that, well, I'm sorry, but we're going to we have to tell them that they're going to have to Absolutely. Pay. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And we'll, we'll come <laughs> back again. Uh, kind of very controversial at all. I mean, yeah. I, you don't hear much whining about the, the, the crossrail business rate supplement. Um, I mean, maybe you do, maybe I go in the wrong circles, but it's, <laughs> yeah. it doesn't seem like it's been particularly controversial. 
Um, and it, so it's not just the capital cities that benefit. So, I mean, we talked about how the VT was able to be levied on even quite smaller, uh, smaller cities and towns, sort of 10,000 population. Um, so another good example is just basically allows experimentation. Mm. So um, most British people uh, will have heard of the uh, the city of Dunkirk on the north coast, um, yeah. France. And uh, Dunkirk has, a couple of years ago, made all its buses free. Um, yeah, I, in fact, free. I, have a, I have a slide for it. Here it is. Here is their website. They're very really? nice website. Wow, this is great. It's almost like we chatted about this before. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah, so that says, uh, uh, mobility for all. Uh, your network, Deboos, what, what the hell does that mean, is is 100% free. This is the bit that everyone sees and I don't think needs any translation. This is, you know, it's, it's brilliant. Um um, yeah, and it does. Have, it's an extensive bus network, and I've actually used it. Um, it's genuinely very good, and um, it was, uh, I, I believe, as of like just before the pandemic. It, I, I'm, you know, a lot of people are reasonably skeptical about free public transport. There are arguments that it can undermine service quality or deter investment. Although it doesn't look like we need much deterring on that front with that. Yeah. But. Um, you know, there, there are legitimate arguments against making all your public transport free. But I mean, in, in Dunkirk's case, um, it's um, seems to have been quite popular. I mean, I think as of 2019, the stats I've got in front of me are that ridership increased by 65% on weekdays and 125% on weekends, more than doubling. So it is big. And I've used them and they're good. Um, I actually use them in a really fun way, actually. I, I came across it completely by accident. I used to live in Belgium when I was Brussels correspondent. I got the train out to the extremity of the Belgian network um, on SNCB, the Belgian railway, and I walked down the beach with my girlfriend from Dupin, which is the uh, the Belgian sort of western terminus, to Dunkirk in France. And it's not not a very long walk. Um, it was very windy, though. Um, it's nice. You go past... Uh, the if I hide our faces... Uh, I think you can see where you did that. So you walked the the beach is just up here, uh, it's right in the top yeah, corner. If anyone, so I'm drawing on this map here. Uh, the beach is there. You walked along the beach, and then presumably then made your way into here, and then found your way into the bus network. Yes, exactly. So I think we. So yeah, exactly. So we crossed the national border, and as you can see, that that red line there is that the C two. Um, yeah, the yes. thick one is. Yeah, it's C2. So yeah, so here, every, it looks like it's every 10 minutes. That was rough, yep. I remember. This map is great, by the way. You can get the PDF, you can download the PDF easily off the website. And it shows you frequencies. It has all the system it's and it shows good. you all the frequencies. It's brilliant, absolutely brilliant. Yeah, and that was an international bus um, that we and I got it back. I got the, we got the bus back to Japan from France and it was free. So it was a, quite an interesting curiosity, sort of free international travel. Um, which I, uh, which I enjoyed. We sort of just rocked up at the bus station. I was thinking, oh, are we going to have, you know, do I have to get a smart car or something like this? Is it going to, because you, you arrive in a foreign city, you're never sure what yeah. you to run the buses. Um, and no, I just was just able to get on it and go <laughs> and go to another country for free, which is great. Um, so, I mean, I, I'm not saying that you necessarily need to do what Dunkirk's done. And obviously this is rail natter, not bus natter. Um, but it's a good example of what you are allowed to do. And that would simply not be possible in the UK. I mean, in this country, we look at, say, I don't know, a town, not city, like Reading. Mm. Um, and we say, well, wow, Reading's got like a municipally owned bus network and like has a reasonable service. 
that's really good but actually that should be standard and like the weird stuff should be like oh we've made all the buses free or oh the trains are like we have a train on every street or something i don't know but yeah if you give local authorities the ability to experiment some of them will get it wrong um but you know a lot of them will get it right and overall i mean there's a lot of best international best practice out there there's a lot of cities that are doing it right it's actually very difficult pretty difficult to screw up making public transport affordable if you just spend a bit of money subsidizing it so i i actually really think that this um that sort of giving people this sort of generalized versatile transport or like just extending the uh the business rate supplement or something like that but i mean or maybe making it a, maybe making it a payroll tax or something something to that effect would be a really positive thing that would allow you to invest in it and you could see in france i mean people's people's national stereotypes are very outdated of all countries of and most people probably don't think of france as a particularly good urban transit country and that's because it wasn't yeah yeah those, yeah, yeah. those 21 those 21 you know major transit systems were built since the yeah, year it's very quickly yeah. very quickly yeah i mean and there's a lesson there's a lesson there in terms of um this stuff needs to be happening quickly but <laughs> we haven't got time to be faffing around for 20 30 yeah. years british style this stuff needs to be happening quickly. The only way it can happen quickly is by local authorities getting these powers. There's something else I wanted to pick up on, actually, which is maybe, like, it picks into, up into, like, ideology a little bit in, in the UK, which is perhaps there is a perception, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to contradict myself in a moment, but there is a perception within Westminster that local authority, or certainly within both little and big C conservative circles, that um, the public sector cannot innovate and cannot do exciting new alternative things and in order to prove that point, don't give them the opportunity to. And like, you know, as you say, experimentation, it would be awesome if, if, if sort of smaller city regions or towns could do some of this experimentation. Like, you know what, we're going to try free transport for two years and see what happens and then see what happens, see what the result is. If it doesn't work, fine. OK, you then ramp it back up again. Fine. But, it, you know, there, there are opportunities there. And But then what's frustrating is that you look at a report which admittedly Treasury is basically just set far too and chucked in the bin but the bus back better report actually did cite the fact that you know reading's a good example they cited reading and and nottingham as examples of good practice of of local authorities being innovative with um or kind of at least municipal bus uh, companies being innovative uh essentially on behalf of the state so it's strange isn't it you know there's just so many we're just so close so opportunities just there but 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 we can't you know something is stopping us which is uh, a tactical segue because the next section is for us to kind of close out we're already at quarter past nine uh, what is stopping us let's talk a bit about what's stopping us oh i mean treasury treasury is one of them obviously um i don't know but that, there are others as well so treasury is there our favorite friends uh, getting in the way but there are other things as well I and mean, we've talked about business rates being being something that london was allowed to raise without running a referendum um other cities not so much but uh, yeah so so that's one. The other, I tell you what, I'll go through these um, and then we can kind of maybe do a bit of a sweep up at the end. So the other, this is a great, thanks for sending this link through. This is this is an old um, BBC News article. Do you remember when BBC News, the BBC News website looked like this, everyone? Um, and this is interesting because it's saying, our trams at the end of the road, long-awaited tram schemes for three areas of England were scrapped within four weeks of each other in November. This is, uh, this is, this is not the Tories, by the way, folks. This is 2005. This is the new Labour government scrapping local transport systems for um for merseyside for hampshire i mentioned hampshire earlier and for leeds everyone remembers the leeds ones they don't remember the hampshire and the merseyside ones quite so much so um yeah so this is 
this is an example of a serious pro- problem. I don't know if you want to talk about this article and then I'll, and then we'll kind of talk more broadly, but maybe just very briefly talk about this article and what, what we can kind of pick out of this. Yeah, so I mean, to, to, you summarised it very well, but basically there were these tram systems that were planned, and it's actually interesting in the context of we were talking about France, because these are tram systems that were being planned at the same time as many of those tram systems were being planned in in France, and the difference is that they didn't get built at the same yeah. time. And the reason they didn't get built, I mean, I I, I don't like to personalise politics, so I, I think you can say, yeah, there was a guy in the Treasury who ba- or the guy in the DFT who basically just didn't care about this stuff and didn't want to do it. But that's always going to happen, and you need a system which allows you, which allows local authorities and local communities to build their own infrastructure, build their own assets, build their own, and subsidise their public transport if they want to make that choice. Um, without the direction of central government. So giving them generalised powers to do that is really uh, important. And you talked about ideology and, um, and stuff like that earlier. And it's important to remember that the reason that the Metropolitan Councils were abolished by Thatcher in the 80s was because they were seen as bastions of, um, without wanting to get too political, they were seen as bastions of municipal socialism. You can full blast get super political. <laughs> real they, they, were, they were seen as bastions of municipal socialism. And it, I mean, other stuff that I thought, you know, it's worth mentioning, this sort of, uh, there's, you know, you've got these sort of Merseyside, Hampshire, Leeds, South Hampshire, Leeds trams. But there was an earlier phase of um, sort of local authorities um, organising their public transport properly, uh, and that was Mersey Rail, Time and Wear Metro, stuff like that, and that all happened under the um, the passenger transport, uh, sort of uh, the local passenger transport boards, which were sort of a functional ran parallel to the metropolitan councils. And the reason you you got these like basically un- half finished systems just built in the seventies and the eighties was because you have these and then the structures to to sort of plan new projects to to run them properly disappear a lot of these by the way were funded by low by um largely funded by central governments i mean um i believe the time where metro was like 70 percent done by by central government but that's not that doesn't disprove the the, the fact that central government firstly you need local governments to be there pushing it to plan it and yeah to provide a bit of support and be and to properly deliver it but also yeah it's not not to say that you're never going to get someone in the treasury in Westminster who wants to spend money somewhere. That does occasionally happen. The problem is it doesn't consistently happen and doesn't consistently happen for everywhere in the country. So if you want to do leveling up or whatever the buzzword is, you need to give places the powers to do it. And people know what they need in their local areas. Um, and so, so allowing them to build like public transport and subsidise it is basically a bit of a no-brainer, I think. Absolutely, and and it's um, it's 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 where it's, it's so depressing. Where to even start on this? Let's 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 skip to a tweet by Tom Forth that I think makes the point um, quite neatly about some of the challenges we talked about. Um, what London was able to do, admittedly, after an act of Parliament was passed, but London was able to raise its own. Um, business rates to fund uh sorry it was allowed to levy business rates to fund uh or to, to put money towards funding crossrail um actually go to find this tweet by tom forth everyone and uh the one following it he shows where he takes the extract from a certain boris johnson esquire saying that there is no need for there, that there's no need for a referendum uh to to actually enact this these powers uh within within london whereas um if Leeds wants this, and indeed if other cities want this, they've been given, they've inverted commas, been given these powers, but only if they run a referendum of local businesses. 
which essentially means that they have they don't have the option to do it. They're, they're blocked from, from doing it. We talk about whether businesses do and don't want it. I think there's a trepidation among councillors to do a referendum like that if it didn't go their way, because that obviously is a political impact. So it's, it's basically a bit of an, a, a deliberate catch-22 to trap them from actually using those, being able to enact and, and, and make use of those powers. So they've almost been dangled in front of them to say, look, yeah, we have given you them, but actually materially they don't have those powers. And, and that's that's incredibly frustrating. Um uh yeah so so if jump back to treasury there are treasury issues but i think you're right there that it, it pervades a lot of the structures of central government and it also as you, as we've said elsewhere local government has the challenge as well we saw the yorkshire deal was kind of shot down i mean okay it was de- designed to be shot down it was designed by central government to be shot down but local and, and regional infighting dragged that process out and potentially helped to harpoon it as well so there are a lot of other kind of in, in interplay politics that get in the way as well, right? Yeah, absolutely. And, and just to clarify, I've talked a lot about trams and a lot about buses, but I mean, we we also mentioned S-bahns, which are important. I mean, uh, you, you need to have this, you know, I think we, we all agree that you need a central pit vic tunnel in Manchester. It'd be great to have a crossroad for Birmingham, West Yorkshire, yeah. like all sorts of places could do with one. And of course, a city like Manchester should have a proper, uh, proper metro system yeah, as well. Yeah, yeah. Like, and, and things like that so it isn't just trams but yeah you uh, and those projects can be locally funded but also with central government help but yeah you're absolutely right about the treasury um i, I actually i'm actually a com- very much a convert to this I've, so i've for a long time wanted to abolish the home office um and i'm genuinely convinced that the culture there's terrible and also absolutely abolish the home office yeah. just for cultural reasons in the department and i think the treasury is one of those things that just needs to be broken up and put out to pasture replace it with a normal finance ministry and also have a separate economics ministry that's like yeah. loaded into yeah. bids and um, because that's what most countries do and can't hurt i don't think they add very much apart from uh ri- pickled rigid dogma um to coin a phrase so yeah um th- there is a sort of institutional bias in the treasury i mean you you, you talk at length and one of the one of the great points you repeatedly make and i hope you'll continue to make is about the green book being uh, a pile of yeah it's rubbish um, absolute rubbish and, yeah and just yeah just sort of uh, basically i think people intuitively know it is as well but people find it difficult to express it so if you say to somebody who lives in leeds like oh you can't have a tram because like we looked at the cost benefit analysis and it turns out like you you don't deserve one or like it just wouldn't be it wouldn't be worth worth the cash like Leeds is the largest urban area in Europe without a tram or metro system. Like, it's ridiculous to think that it couldn't do with one. I mean, anybody who's been... Basically, we need to get away from... You made this point, and I'll make it again for you, hopefully. We need to get away from, like, looking at individual projects and going, oh, what's cost-benefit analysis on this according to the Green Book? And just going, what do we need to run a functioning functioning society? And then just build it. And, yeah, you should probably look at the costs of stuff and make sure it doesn't overrun but being led from that angle is uh, being over overpowering. Oh, so sort of having that that end of the bargain, calling the shots, is very much the tail wagging the dog, and is a joke and just needs to end. And yeah, it's bad. We should we should build the society that we want to live in. Like it's it's it, 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 we shouldn't be deciding what society yeah. what the structure of society should be based on conditional formatting in a spreadsheet. We should build the society we want to live in. Um, 
there are some questions, some key ones, Alistair. I've spotted your question there. Uh, there are some key questions we'll get to. I just want to, you know, in, incidentally, no, no, kind of uh, entirely coincidentally, we'll come back to questions. Uh, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna push us on to to the kind of the outro. Purely by coincidence, um, I happen to have uh, a new mug out. I said that I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't say the phrase, but uh, there's, there's a, you know, there, there is a certain uh, uh, sort of uh, theme of, of this mug that people might sort of want to, to buy into, as it were. Maybe someday we'll do an episode about this particular theme and actually explain what it might look like. But to do that, we'd need an expert from the IFG or someone to come along. Anyway. Um, so, I'm, I'm we're going to come back to questions. Oh, we're very happy to endorse that, Mark. I, I, and oh, yeah. we can attest that I actually messaged you uh, the other day asking when they would be available to buy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you, your, your message prompted me to get on with doing it. So uh, everyone has uh, John to thank for the for this new uh, mug, the new Rail Natter mug that you can go and buy. I, I don't know whether it's up on the website yet, but it will be. And if not, tweet Masket and prod them to get it up. Um, so uh, the outro, and then we'll come back to questions, and we'll maybe do a bit of a wrap up with John. But uh, as usual, we are available on all podcasting platforms. I, I'm, I'm sometimes a bit tardy with getting the the, the podcast thing up, but it does. It is generally. Uh, is it appearing in RSS feeds, John? I don't know how you listen to it. Does it? Is it seeming to be mostly roughly appearing? It, it works now. Yeah, I, I had a great treat actually because I forgot to update the feed for about six months, so I've been uh, been listening to oh, yeah. several episodes about whales recently. Oh yeah, nice. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, so yeah, you can listen to that. Uh, the usual sort of uh, the usual plugs. Um, the the merch at Masquette, of course. Um, the the PayPal.me slash Gareth Dennis to chuck loose change at me with with vigor and violence. Um, the Discord server to continue all this chatter here. Um, uh, is at garethdennis.co.uk slash discord and you can support me to make more of this sort of thing happen um, by going to patreon.com slash garethdennis there is a patron you can support me it's super it's just, it's a quid it's just a quid you can pay more and, and indeed some people do looking at you Graham um, but uh, yes it's just a quid and it allows you to get bonus goodies uh, you know pay what you can uh, not what I tell you etc what else? Ah, yeah. So I'm going to plug this again. I'm, I'm going to go and book it. So I'll get a date sorted. Um, I think it's generally going to be in May or possibly early June. I think it might be late May, early June, which are approaching fairly quickly. But I'm going to go and book it in. Um, but there is going to be a live. It's another live audience one. It's a pre-record with a live audience. And it'll be in York again. And I'm quite excited about it because the last one was a lot of fun. But there are only like, like just less than 20 people at it. This one I'm aiming for 50, I think. 50-ish. So that should be exciting because it was a lot of fun. And I, I was lecturing in front of a room of 40 people today and I was enjoying myself. So it reminds me that um, I really enjoy doing these live. And it'd be quite fun to get a guest. So maybe I need to think about getting a guest in for that one because having two of us in front might be really good fun. Anyway, next week, as I kind of alluded to, we're going to be looking at the Carmen report. We're going to look through the RAIB uh, report for the Carmen derailment. We're going to go through the whole thing in detail, um, kind of one, one end to the other. It could be a long one. I'm hoping that it, it shouldn't be, but it's a detailed report and it's worth us digging into the detail of that, I think. So so we are going to look at that in great detail. Um, bring our two uh, our two sort of faces back. Um, John, oh, we've got some questions. Before we close up, let's, let's answer a couple of questions. We've been asked a question that we definitely will not be able to answer by uh, Alistair Baldwin. Alistair, uh, friend of, uh, former guest and friend of the show, uh, asks, the key question, why does the DFT retain powers to approve applications, you know where this is going, John, for individual cattle grids, cycle tracks, and closing individual roads? Why, indeed, it's a rhetorical question to indicate how bonkers the level, the power distribution is between central and, and, and local government. It's a bit like the potholes thing, right? Potholes have been taken away from local authorities and turned into a capital investment project that's administered by central government. It's like, <laughs> wait, what? 
Yeah, the, the, the other one thing that um, I think is in a similar vein is I was reading the legislation for stop signs the other day, and each one has to be approved by the Secretary of State for Transport, every stop sign. So that's why you don't see them very often. I mean, I, maybe that's one that you would uh, that you'd want in there because you don't want to overuse them. But yeah, it's interesting. It is interesting. Um, we have another question, which is great, which is from uh, actually from the campaign for North East Rail. Um, uh, I owe you a couple of DMs. I'll, 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 I'll be getting back to you. But... The Campaign for North East Rail uh, asks uh, a very good question, which is, do you think devolution, as we have been discussing, would contradict the idea of a powerful rail body that can fund improvements autonomously? Um, yeah, that's a good question. What do you think on that, John? Oh, that's a good question. I think you're better qualified to answer it than me. I think you've got a better... Yeah, but, I, but I'm happy to speak my brains anyway. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, that's the me approach, do um, it. I think, you need, I think you need to have a balance. Um, yeah. Honestly, I uh, yeah, it would it would basically be down to the specifics, wouldn't it? Um, I think you'd probably end up in a sort of a sort of tripartite or whatever. You'd end up with a lot of negotiations going on, but uh, currently you have to negotiate with the DFT anyway. So you know why not negotiate with some railway managers? Yeah, exactly. And actually, this comes back. This goes back. To, and I included the slides earlier of what my idealised devolved structure would be. Um, you know, I, I, I'm not. It's not a hill I'll die on with that structure, but that feels like a good one, given given kind of what I've experienced the way Britain works. Um, but if you go back to the what structure should the railways have anyway episode, which was ages ago, I kind of talk about how those would overlay and interact. And, and ideally, if you've got those regional levels from a transport perspective matching the the, the broader administrative functions uh, with the same outline, at the moment they all are a mess. That none of them overlay properly, which makes which means you've got to talk to multiple ones, and it's a huge waste of human effort. Um, I, I think that the things will run better um, with those talking to each other, even if rail investment is to a certain extent. Well, uh, actually, to be honest, it's, John, it's exactly what you said. You'd have that mixture, wouldn't you? You'd, Deutsche Bahn committed some of the money to Stuttgart 21. Yeah. Then the local region committed some more and the city region committed others. So so that's almost the, the, the overlay that we've described. So you'd have GBR at the top with then the the sort of the, the, the sort of larger region committing some cash and then the city region if it's a city project committing so i, I think that that can work it's a good question um mm -hmm. uh hst trains your question is so broad i cannot possibly begin to tackle it here uh let's see da, 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 da. let's see da, 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 ba, ba, da, ba, da. if i need a guest oh lots of people are saying hi if we need a guest for the live one Ooh, interesting okay um simon wadsworth is asking should gbr just build the line service if the funding is provided outside the normal enhancements process none of this dual grip process oh golly that's uh oh that's that is a, a, a good but a complex question um yes there are challenges with having two different organizations running concurrent similar approvals and, and assurance and, and development processes I, I i think yeah uh yes there's a lot of duplication that would be best to be got rid of how exactly that works and who leads that i think the rail for a railway project it feels like the railway authority should lead that um but for other, you know, for like city projects, yeah, when it's kind of multimodal, maybe it should be let. Yeah, that's it's a good but tricky question to answer in this context. Right. OK, uh, no one else is. Uh, we, we've OK. All the questions have disappeared. Marvellous. John, given that I've hogged you for an additional. Well, technically, I've hogged you for an additional hour and a half beyond what I, I should have because I delayed it to 8 p.m. Thank you so much. Have you got any last words before we before we wave vigorously to everyone? Are you? Uh, thanks very much. And yeah, I'm looking forward to coming back for a third time in the future. Um, can I plug my cycle videos as well? I yes. Know, I know we did. I'll definitely do that. 
do uh, yeah do do search on YouTube for London cycle routes and I basically uh, just show people how to cycle from one bit to the other and I always welcome new subscribers and also requests so yeah I'll, I'll put I'll put a link in the chat as well definitely do that I'll put yeah put the link in the, uh, the chat and also I'll put actually you might not be able to put the link in the chat John but if I'll make sure it's in the description uh, and yeah definitely go and go and do that they're great honestly they're great I've, I've I'm a subscriber I watch them and I've recommended them to my mother-in-law she cycles a lot in London um, and she's uh, she makes good use of them to, to join the dots and find and you can use bits of them which is quite good so if you've got a particular bit that you want to do you can almost sort of link them up the next step is to like go crazy meta with them so if you draw a an alignment it picks multiple sections of the youtube video and anyway that's that's for the future right wow. yeah 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 um oh uh, yeah oh, nice you, you tweeted it from the the account so people the london cycle routes account there with john's uh, grinning face go, go to that uh, john it's been a brilliant one definitely we'll have you back for for a third once one it's, it's when you know that write another corker of an episode that gets me very excited i'll have you back on um that was great uh everyone in the chat thanks so much for watching Everyone thanks, in audio only. Oh, go on, John. No, thanks very much, guys. Good, good chat. It was excellent chat. Um, it only remains for us to vigorously wave goodbye. Uh, yeah, cheers, everyone. Cheerio, cheerio.